0: Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Cyber.
1: <laughs> Great to be here, man. Yes. <clears throat> yeah.
0: All right. So uh, the first question that I want to start off with is, I know a question that's burning on everybody's heart. <laughs> that is, what is your favorite thing about me? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's your joy,
1: Uh, your leadership, your good looks, the whole deal, man. You're you're everything everybody wants to be.
0: I'm everything everybody wants wants to to be. be? That's 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 how I feel. I'm glad you know that too. Okay, (laughs) good deal. (laughs) All right, so uh, first thing I want to do is just let everybody know a little bit about you, current, real time, in life. Tell us a little bit about your family, your wife, and your kids, what they're up to. And just what's going on in your life yeah. now.
1: well first of all just such a joy to be here um as andrew said uh family wise my uh s- sister-in-law brother and brother-in-law all went to iu for grad school and uh so uh and then they've lived in valparaiso indiana for 40 years and then my uh, sister and brother-in-law they now live in cleveland but they live in chicago for years so this whole area was we were coming through here and both of my niece and nephew went to butler and uh my nephew actually lives here and he and his wife were part of starting teach for teach america teach for america Uh, here in Indy. So so I've been in and out a little bit, but I want to say this. uh, I'll probably say it tomorrow, but you know, Indy has always been one of those places that God has highlighted for uh, training and sending people around the world. I mean, so many people. Somebody said, amen. Hey, no, I mean, so many people that are touching the world came through Indy or from Indy or uh, so many great uh, men and women of God have come from this place, and uh, and I just always sense such grace when I come into the city, and so it is super super to be with you guys. So uh, that's a little bit of my family and little indie roots or, or Indian Indiana, and uh, um, on a personal level, so Laura and I just celebrated thirty three years of marriage. <laughs> So, isn't that awesome? 33 years now, many of you in the room, some of you have been married that long, but you just think, wow, I think we're still kids, you know? I mean, where did 33 years go? Um, But we are so grateful for uh, each other, and I would say our marriage is better this year than it's been any other year, which is, we haven't always been able to say that every year, but this year, for sure, we're saying that. Uh, we have four kids. Uh, our oldest is 30 and she is married, been married for seven years. We have two grandkids, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. In just a minute I'll tell you a little bit about where they're living and because uh, that comes into what's currently going on. Then our, our next daughter, she has been married now almost two years two years next month and they live in Waco and they lead our deal called acts of mercy which you guys are going to hear more about is our emergency response stuff that we do around the world is Antioch and they are revving the engine back up and so we'll all be jumping in that together Um, And then our other son, uh, he lives in Washington, D.C. as well, and he is 25 and works for a a policy group there, but also is a part of a church we're planting there in Antioch, D.C., which I said I wasn't going to talk about, but I'm doing it as we go. (laughs) And then I've got uh, our youngest is uh, in college at a place called Abilene Christian University, uh, which is three hours from our house. And Laura's just driving back from an event that was going on there. And um, he is just a great man. Just so proud of him. So, a little bit going on with the family is we are planting a church in Washington, D.C. So, um, my son in law worked in the Air Force, uh, does Intel, uh, was going into the private sector with Intel. And when he and Abby were praying about, hey, what does God have for us next rolling out of the Air Force? He said, I I remember he said that he said, You know what? Whatever I do, I want to walk with Caleb, who's our son. And uh, Caleb had just started a little house church in DC and we were talking about should we plant a church and he said, we're gonna go join him and I'll work in DC. And so he works for the Department of Defense and they lead our families section. Uh, and then uh, Caleb works for a Think Tank, and he's our worship leader, and we've got a great uh, young couple leading uh, the church there. So Antioch DC has been a lot of fun. And Laura and I made sure that we were the overseers for Antioch DC, no mixed motives there, just absolute pure <laughs> motives before God. And so it's been fun getting to vicariously work with them and through them. And so we're in and out of there uh, every couple of months. And, uh, and then Brady and Lauren, the deal about Acts of Mercy, I'll just say this now, is that, you know, the, the thing about Antioch people anywhere in the world is that they're activists, right? They're high vision, high action. And I know that... This group's a passionate group, always wanting to do something uh, for Jesus. Our hearts burn when something happens in the world. And so we had Acts of Mercy uh, really going in the mid-2000s for about a six, seven-year run there. Kind of trimmed it back just to make sure we were still on point with it, but we're reactivating it full bore with medical response and emergency response around the world. So when a tragedy happens, if God puts on you guys' heart. Uh, Puerto Rico there's earthquake in Puerto Rico and you guys say we just got to go Antioch Indy now we got a way to kind of put um, emergency response in a box we'll train anybody and you can take a team and go for it so that's going to be fun here in the future so that's a little bit update what's happening there you go
0: great yes so good so encouraging uh, your kids are amazing. They're awesome. I agree. It's, it's Thank true. you. Andrew. They're yeah. they're amazing. Um, okay, so give us just a little bit personal story. We we want to get into the movement and where we come sure. from and all that kind of thing. But how did you start following Jesus? Sure. Kind of backstory growing up, home you grew up in. Right. Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont,
1: Texas, another great the place Pearl to be of from. Texas, yeah. As everybody
0: calls it right. Not not many people
1: say that, but but <laughs> we do. Who are from Beaumont. Um, a lot of you guys have heard my story, so I will fast forward a little bit uh, to say, you know, grew up in a fairly dysfunctional home, non-believing home, and um, uh, when when I found Jesus, I always say uh, I needed him. You know, like when somebody said, well, I got saved when I was five, and you know, I've just really learned how to be, learned to follow Jesus later on in life. Man, I needed Jesus, people needed me to find Jesus. I mean, it was, it was, it was critical. And so when I found Jesus, I really, really uh, knew that, hey, something had shifted. And the way I say it is, when I prayed to receive Jesus, for the first time in my life, I realized I wasn't alone. It, it was tangible, it was real. And though I didn't have much discipleship the first year or so, it was, it was, I'm talking to God. God is with me. I know he's real. So fast forward a little bit and, um, went to Baylor. And again, I often tell the story of, of spending a summer, just looking at the scriptures and saying, okay, if this is for real, if Jesus is for real, then I'm going to read a chapter a day, whatever Jesus said to do, I'm going to do it. And whatever he did, I'm going to do it Now. I'm just strong-willed enough that when I resolve something, uh, I'm going to do it because I committed to it for this summer. The only problem was, was that I had not read all the Gospels. And, so, uh, I, and actually, I'm glad I didn't because uh, there were some pretty radical things early on in the reading of the Scriptures that uh, I had committed to without knowing it. And uh, so I always say within six chapters of reading the book of Matthew, I'd forgiven everybody I hadn't planned on forgiving. Uh, I'd given away just about everything I had, and my life was changed in six days, let alone three months of simply reading the words of Jesus and obeying it. So, out of that, out of that dynamic, my whole worldview shifted just the life of Jesus so now instead of about the kingdom of me and what I could do to be somebody it was the kingdom of God and this person named Jesus and then obviously what follows the gospel is the book of Acts and so I started reading the book of Acts and like wow it gets better you know and and for the people of God it's not just Jesus and some guys 2,000 years ago it's a real active faith that's Alive today. And, um, and, and what helped along those early days was we started meeting with a group of people and experienced the book of Acts. You know, like when God revives you, then somehow He makes sure that you find the people who also want to be of that same like-heartedness or he immediately connects you with people that are so far from God that a radical encounter with God happens to them. God never wastes a personal revival, right? And he puts you with other people. So we experienced that and then I went overseas that next summer and experienced that in a very dynamic way, way away from the west in the middle of the jungles of Papua New Guinea. And these encounters with God in the early days really just set the course. And the best way to say it is that um, I uh, believe with all my heart that what we read in the Bible is possible today. And, and I don't mean just like, hey, I'm believing for miracles. I mean a lifestyle of communion with God that is real, tangible, active, present, and, uh, and uh, it can be lived out. So when we, we didn't start thinking, uh, you know, we're going to start a movement of churches and around the world, but we started with, we want to live out what's in the word with anybody that wants to. And that was, that was really how it started. And a few people wanted to, then a few more. And then the more we experienced, we, uh, started a larger community and things developed, but we can talk a little more about that later.
0: Yeah, that's great. So take thinking about those first three months, yeah, you know, what are maybe one or two things that just stick out from those first three months of encountering Jesus, learning to hear his voice and responding to him in a way that really started to reshape you. Just like yeah. specific yeah. encounters. Yeah yeah,
1: yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, well, I, I remember the deal, uh, you know, uh, again, early on, the, the biggest deal was forgiveness. That was kind of the first key. Uh, and reading the words of Jesus that you know if we don't forgive he doesn't forgive us now again i don't mean that in our salvation you know we are saved by the grace of god alone but what that means is if i don't forgive other people i am blocking that grace that flows towards me and that grace that flows through me is being blocked by my own unforgiveness and i was telling it earlier today on the on the podcast uh, my mom was a really kind of out there lady very hurt broken from her own life and you know, divorce and all this stuff happened in her life, and um, and so she would get a little out of control. Again, by today's standards, was definitely abusive, and so she was the antagonist of the family. That's she's the one that nobody wanted to be near or around. And so when God started speaking to me, he said you need to go, you need to forgive your mom, and needed, and then this was the this was the game changer. He said you need to ask her forgiveness for what you have said about her. So rather than going, so so I go to her and and I and again I don't know how I knew this right I didn't have any in depth counseling I was just trying to read the Bible talk to God God what do you want me to do and he said don't point out her faults you take responsibility for yours so I go- love when
0: God says stuff like
1: that yes exactly especially if you're on the other <laughs> so end of rich. It. Yeah, yes, so rich yes exactly and. Uh, and so uh, I went to her, and I said, hey, Mom, uh, you know, you know that, that something's going on in my life and my, my relationship with God through Jesus, and, and I just want to ask your forgiveness for every time I told you I hated you, for every time I said I wanted nothing to do with you, for all, you know, all these kind of deep responses of a hurt kid. And I said, Would you, will, will you forgive me? And she's crying uncontrollably, and she says, I thought you'd always hate me. I thought you'd always hate me. And she said, I never wanted to be that person that I was. And so kind of this awe moment. Now, she didn't give her life to Jesus. If uh, It wasn't an immediate change in her other than this emotional moment. So I go back to my bedroom because I was there for the summer. and uh, And I'm like, wow, God, I mean, thank you for doing this. And as I'm sitting there, I have this this moment where I remember back to a memory that I had not thought about in years of when I was about eight years old and mom kind of had gone on this tirade and had slapped me around, you know, and it had got got a little wild. And, And I'd kind of fallen against a wall in a heap there and I was crying and I was saying, God help me, God help me. And mom had come by and said, God or no one else is gonna help you. You deserve everything you're gonna get, you know? And God brought me back to that memory, and he said, I heard the cry of that eight-year-old boy. And today, I've been able to show you how good I am. Isn't that powerful? But what unlocked it was my willingness to forgive. Not mom asking for forgiveness. You understand what I'm saying? You can't control somebody else's brokenness. You can only control your own. And so, Mom came to Jesus two months before she died at 89 years old. So we all still had to live with her brokenness all of our lives, uh, but we were able to love her. I never had, a, honestly, another bitter thought. I mean, her daughters-in-law struggled, <laughs> and we had to create boundaries in life. But, but for us who forgave, it just you know, hey, she's a hurt person who hurts people, right? And without jesus what do you expect i mean we we had to put some boundaries and all that but but um freedom is really just one prayer away uh, or or one willingness to own our own stuff and as long as we're on the tangent you know The, the, it, it, God deeply cares. He empathizes with us. And, and, you know, I know the whole therapeutic movement that's going around America and the world, it's a right thing, right? God empathizes. He understands your pain and everything else. But in the end, no matter who caused that pain or what happened there, you're going to have to put them in the hands of God for you to get healed. Demanding for someone else to ask forgiveness, it, it, or let me say it another way. I often use this illustration. If somebody, if, if, I, if somebody walked in here and shot me, let's say shot me in the leg, and, uh, and, and I knew them, and they walked out the door, and you guys just said, you need to get to the hospital, and I'd say, not until they come back and take me there. If they don't come back and take me to the hospital, I'm not going, because they're the ones who shot me, and they knew better, and they should have loved me, and they should have not shot me, and I'm sitting there on the side of the road to be... A bit dramatic i'm going to bleed out because i'm not willing to go to the hospital because i'm demanding that the person that hurt me heal me and the person that hurts you is not going to heal you yes. even if they should even if they're a believer yes. they're not the one who hurts you is not going to heal you jesus is the healer yes. he's the restorer he's the one so so that's why oh, you wow. gotta you gotta get to him and ask forgiveness so there's a dramatic...
0: That's a good word. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Man, so, amen. Anyway. You, you so... can shout
0: them down on Saturday and on the way for Sunday. Man, that's a great word. But it's so true, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're, we're all one
1: a, one resolving of a relationship or, or one forgiveness prayer. We're just one one word away, one prayer away from a breakthrough. Yeah, but but again, you're not going to get a breakthrough by demanding that others heal you anyway, so good there you go
0: yeah you go on as many tangents as you want yeah, yeah. those are. i like those <laughs> tangents that's good no, I, I love i love hearing your story any any part of your story i've heard along the way and even just here tonight as i'm listening i think i'm i'm so thankful for how jesus saved you and the environment that he found you in and the, those first three months of not having any background, just reading the Bible and doing what it says. Because when you talk about those first three months, all I, all I see is just the values of the movement. It's like, that's where it started. And I think at its most simplest, when I think about you and what I love about being part of this family, and the more we all talk, even in leadership, about what are we trying to build and do and all these sort of things, everything boils down to just the simplicity of, mm-hmm. of encountering Jesus and loving people. And obviously that's what we all, that's not novel, but there's a a purity to it that I see that seed got planted there. Mm. Even just that story with your mom and little comments that you even just said right now, she was a hurt person who hurt people. And when you say that, I mean, I think, wow, that's so true. But I'm so thankful for that because I see that in kind of our DNA as a people because of the life that you've lived and the path you paved. That's become an attitude. And and I see you live that out even to this day, like you have a freedom from needing everybody else to make you right you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's really powerful and that we all need that, but it's not because you are, it doesn't come from a hardness of heart of like, oh forget everybody, I'm going to do me. Sure. It comes from a softness of just like that place of grace mm-hmm. that's like, yeah, I needed grace bad <laughs> and so do you, so yes. you, yeah, you hurt me, but we're kind of in the same boat here, yes. and I think that's so powerful, I'm just so thankful for that. So that's a little bit of story, so let's fast forward. Okay, so grow up in a hard home, uh, senior year of high school, in freshman year of college, you meet Jesus, start following Jesus. The rest of college, you find a core group of people to start running with. You do the trip to Papua New Guinea. All of these ha- things happen in those foundational years. Okay, so college is over, and you now start have to figure out what's the path here. Uh, business stuff which you started to kind of go into and then God starts speaking to you about um, I, I mean I guess what we have today not that you knew it at the sure. time but take us into kind of the first 10 years of the movement sure. and and the story part of it like how did this whole thing get going so those first 10 years like you like you said you didn't start out to build what exists right now today necessarily so just those first sure. early days of like okay now i'm in the real world i'm going to start living this out and then you start leading people and church and yeah
1: stuff. i, th- I think that. what's key and th- this is what i would say uh to, for everybody is that i never got in this to be in the ministry i got in this to follow jesus yeah. therefore when i worked in business i was absolutely following jesus just as zealously as when quote unquote I was doing full time ministry, um, and so it, it so though though there there is a, a, a needed uh, affirmation and clarity of our impact through our spheres of influence, um, and and I'm all over that and all and let's go man, but in the end it's everybody's calling's the same, but your assignment's different. Right? Great commitment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That's your calling, whether you think it is or not. It's, it's, it's everybody's calling. And my assignment is, I run this company. I work here. I'm a teacher. I, we all have assignments within a within the same calling. So my goal was to say, I just want to be a normal Christian. My goal is to be a biblical Christian christian and invite other people to do the same and let's just do this and see what god might do at the same time when we read the new testament uh uh, we said all right the centerpiece of the new testament is this people of god called the church and though i didn't grow up in church i heard a lot of bad things about the church and uh and i thought well that's not what god thinks about the church so people must have messed everything up again right so when people say oh the church hurt me I just, that's a very interesting statement. So, did the building come out and fall on you? Did, did somebody in the name of, you know, Antioch, Indy, I hurt you? Or it, it was people that hurt you, right? Somebody yeah. in the name of whoever did something dumb that wasn't of God that hurt you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, when we talk about the church negatively, first of all, we are all a part of the church. So, you're just hitting yourself on. uh, at one level. Uh, and, then the, and then the second thing is um, the, the, the church is people, so people have messed up everything in history. Uh, but God is able yes. to do miraculous things with people that trust him. Yeah. So we're trying to be a trusting community and be the church. So anyway, that, that's a bit of that. So so what we did is we, we sat down and we said, what would it look like if the local church was... Um, So committed to loving Jesus and living out kind of Acts 2, 42 through 47. What could we do in a city? What could we do in the nation? What could we do in the nations? And let's just map out a plan. And we called it seven years to reinvestment in the local church. And and it was it was if somebody comes in our midst and comes to Jesus, then they and they they get into a life group, a house church, and we start discipling them, and then we empower them in their workplace or whatever they're doing in life, and then we offer this training school for them, and then we expose them to short-term missions to other countries in the nations, and then if they get called full-time to plant a church somewhere, we can send them out. If not, they reinvest in helping us transform the city through the church. And it's just, hey, come take a ride with us, but we're planning on a seven-year ride. We, we've got at least seven years mapped out. And um, and we just begin to invite people into it. And uh, and that's how we grew a community. Everybody got a little older, started having kids, getting married, and all that good stuff. So, um, uh, but back to those original years, Uh, When we started kind of the training school, which was our, we kind of stepped out of business. We sold everything, moved in the inner city and said, all right, who wants to do a training school? And seven people said they would like to do this. Uh, And so we started this little training school, which is now ADS, but it was a a bit more um, uh, full time at the time. Um,
0: A A bit more full time. A bit
1: more full time. So, so. What were the foundational years? So God speaks to us and says, Years 1 to five's foundation, 6 to 10's growth, and 11 to 15's maturity. And, And honestly, that wasn't like a strategic plan that we sat down with a bunch of people. And really, it just the Holy Spirit said that. So the first five years were all about foundations. So I'm a visionary, I'm a dreamer, and I'd go to like a conference or somebody would say what's happening in this, this thing or that, and I get all stirred up. God, what do I do? And he said, build foundations. Mm-hmm. So I was under the restraint of the Lord to dream about nothing but foundations for the first five years. So good. And it was your devotional life. Is it real? Is it genuine? Is it life-giving? Is it sincere? fasting and praying what does that look like reading the bible i read the bible through cover to cover average six to seven times a year and I made my own concordance back in the day when you actually had Bibles that had concordances right not all on your phone uh, when you didn't when you couldn't Google everything right you had to have the concordance. so I built my own concordance and I would say like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, sin, anger, fear, whatever the topic was I'd write the scripture down and then what I thought it was saying. So I built these massive journals of concordance. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to do that, right? That was my assignment, if you will. But everybody has to have a place where the foundations become central. And as a community, even as this uh, growing church here, those foundations is what you have to be good at to build for whatever God wants to do externally. And so, so that's, that's what we did. We just spent time, again, fasting, praying, reading the word, evangelizing, which was a discipline. Anybody know that evangelism is a discipline? Uh, and I don't mean that like in a works orientation. I mean that, that some of you guys are good at it, but most of us aren't. Right? I mean, Really, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? It, you got to. Think about it. Who are those people? How do I pray for them? How do I engage them in conversation? What would I say if they actually wanted Jesus? You know, all that. So we we just really made that a discipline. Uh, But we also made humility a discipline, servanthood, mutual submission to people, you know, just all that good stuff. So those were those foundations. And I'll say this today, you know, 33 years down the road is I still go back to the foundations every day. And when I'm drifting, it's not because of, we had the wrong strategic plan, it's because there's something in me that isn't surrendered or needs to resharpen or re-engage and make sure that the basics are, are clear. So you never get away from the basics. Those were the foundations. And it was all about building people to reach people, not building an organization to build leverage. Does that make sense? The byproduct, if I think if you do this well, is that you do have leverage, if you will, for the right. God's able to use things as they grow and expand. And, you know, there's things that we're able to do in the city because of our size or what so on and so forth that we never could have done, you know, 30 years ago. But But it's not any different in the heart and it's not any different in what we need to always be getting back to and that's why it's so important that the, just the basics of the kingdom become
0: foundational and central. So good. Yeah. So, uh, when did the training school start? What year was that?
1: 1987.
0: 87. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about those first five years, you're not even really talking about the first five years of Antioch Church. You're no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. So we were school. we
1: were in a we were in a, a Baptist church called Highland Baptist Church. Great people. They had gone through renewal, so it was kind of a, for lack of a better term, a charismatic Baptist church. They had just been through incredible turmoil, Pastor. That the church had grown significantly. Pastor was exposed to sexual sin, blew the whole church up. And we were, we in a, the church went from 2,500 to 1,000 just almost overnight. God spoke to us to join the church the week everything blew up. And so we were building this little training school in a very imperfect environment, uh, to say the least. That'd be an understatement. So, um, so anyway, we started the training school, and because we were doing all the and we didn't, uh, I was a volunteer, so we were substitute teaching, we were doing other part-time jobs and stuff uh, to, to do the training school. And after a couple of years, we were doing all the evangelism in the church, so they made me the evangelism coordinator. Uh, it was just an excuse because we were doing so much around the church. Uh, and, and I said, never pay me enough where you won't. Uh, feel good about me continuing to build and create new avenues uh, of expansion and they were really faithful to that so uh, <coughs> every church loves that uh, and uh, so uh, then uh, after four years of doing this training school in the fourth year we had 11 people so it was basically average eight or nine people 11 people uh, the, uh, the college, uh, the pastor left and they asked us to Laura and I to take over the college. And so we said, yes, but I said just under one condition. And that is, I don't do pizza parties. I don't do movies. I don't do are it's going to be revival or nothing. And they, they they needed somebody, so they just said yes, not knowing what they were saying yes. <laughs> Wasn't to.
0: that message number one? Yes, the yes. first
1: message I did to this college group of sixty people was revival or nothing.
0: Amen. You know, uh,
1: again, you know, may have, I would have maybe done it a little different, but but <laughs> yeah. we but, but not much different. Not not that not much. A lot. Yeah, not that much. <laughs> so that was message number one. And um, so what we did was so this is interesting. So we. We had this discipleship school we'd run for four years. We'd do nine months in the city, three months overseas. I was doing some evangelism, some inner city work. And what we did was we said, we invited people that we had discipled over the previous four years, who wants to jump in with us? And literally there were 23 people. There were 11 women and 12 men. And we would meet on Sunday afternoons and we'd say, we're gonna base this college ministry on three things. How do we do cell church or house church well? Well, how do we pray well and believe for revival and how do we do missions and keep this targeted towards those who've never heard in the world so we would get together on sunday afternoons and we would uh, pray and for an hour and a half and then we'd talk for an hour and a half on how to do life groups and how to pray and how to do missions locally and internationally and that's what we started with and so we that so this 60 we kind of started it off over a year's period of time we got up to about 100 and we still had the training school going and then god fell and we had a move of god in about uh, uh the second year and we went from r- roughly 60 to 100 students to six or 700 almost overnight uh, because there was a deep move of god deep move of repentance deep in gathering of people that were just getting rocked by God and kind of all that that we had sown in yeah. just kind of blew up but what was great about it was we had people that we had discipled yeah. so well that we were able to contain it right so one of the deal, one of the reasons that we were so committed to cell groups or life groups or house church or whatever you want to call it small groups um the the, the main reason we were committed to it is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember the story where uh, at the end of the story it says they went around, they picked up 12 baskets full of extra crumbs. And God spoke to me so significantly. He said there was a move of God called the Jesus Movement, late 60s, early 70s. Just an incredible evangelistic move across the country. And God spoke to me so clearly. He said a lot of that move was lost because there weren't containers to hold it. I'm teaching you to do Acts 2 42 through 47. So in this next outpouring, you can contain it and you'll have leaders and you'll have the ability to not lose any of the, the outpouring of God. So that was a high motivation for us to learn how to do life group well. I, I'm, I remember uh, just for those of you around church, all these terms kind of start getting fuzzy, small group, life group, house church, whatever, cell group. Um, but bottom line is acts 242 through 47 is what we're always after i'm using the word house church more often not because of the old uh, stigmas with it but because of a new reality i'm trying to get people to own hey if you are a life group leader this is the church that meets in your house so treat it like that own it like that you are the pastors of this community To see them vitally encounter Jesus and experience Acts two forty two through forty seven in your home, does, does that make yes, sense? Yes, yes. Because if it's just a ministry of the church, then you won't be the church, that's right. right? So, um, anyway, where was I? That? No, yeah, 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 that's yeah. So, so for a senior pastor, it's like, Amen. Yes, preach it. So, those were the church? foundations. Yeah. When
0: did you start? And then, how did that become? Yeah. That- so.
1: So we start this deal. College group kind of gets large, and then uh, they asked me to take over the young adults, and then the ministries of the church, and we build it around teaching everybody of every age how to do uh, small groups well the, and, and house church. And then um, we basically we grew a church within the church. So, but here's another key piece: I can't tell you how many words from the Lord people had that we ought to leave. That you're too big for this place or they're not treating you right or, and, uh, and they did make it a bit difficult cause you know, it's, it's difficult when a young group grows up and begins to be kind of the darling for a while and, and, and begins to grow and, and, uh, and they did not And, uh, it was an old church structure. We had a new deal going on. And, you know, everybody says the new wine, old wine, you know, new wine skins, you know, you need a bus. And I just knew from the Lord, Hey, with, we will not leave without a full blessing. We will honor this house because whoever you dishonor, when you're in charge, they'll dis, you'll be dishonored too. What you sow, you reap. That's true. And we said, we will honor this leadership. They are not uh, in sin. We don't agree on, what we want to do church. We don't agree on so many things, but these are good people that just have a different assignment. So God, you're the one that's going to have to speak. So we kind of, held the line and just said, we're gonna keep submitting and resubmitting. And it got really challenging for a while. But um, uh, this, uh, I, I can tell the story now down the road, uh, cause it, it's it's um, um, it's not dishonoring. Uh, so um, so we, we're just holding the line. And what we're doing is we got these students, we have these training schools and we're starting to plant churches out of this local church. And we're honoring the local church and we're doing these things around the world. And, um, and I get this phone call in the spring of 1999 and the senior pastor calls me and he said, I want you, it's time go plant. And anybody that wants to go with you from the staff can go with you. And anybody from the church that wants to go with you can go with you. We're going to bless it and bless you guys to plant. I said, wow, what happened? And there was an older prophetic gentleman in his eighties that this guy was, brilliant it had memorized most of the bible i mean literally when he would prophesy it was always in scripture and sometimes it was in four different versions the niv says is the, the NASV. no it was it was amazing stunning and so the, the our elder team at the, the church did not know him but so it was kind of a friend of a friend he was coming through town they said well, would he come and just pray over our elders so he this man this older gentleman that i had never met and have never met he walked into the room of this elders meeting and said, the Lord says, let my people go. If you do not, there is, some, there is a group in your midst that God's hand is on, and if you do not let them go, you will be, uh, it will be difficult for you. But if you bless them, I will also bless you. And they said, it's time. Because their fear was that they would lose something. And the goodness of God said, if everybody honors me, and blesses, I will bless both. Two largest churches in Waco, Texas are ours and Highland Baptist that we came from today. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So that was 1999. So then we became local church and we were already doing church, of course, but uh, we kind of officially were now doing the thing and here we are today
0: so good yeah. as I hear you tell that story again I just want to highlight some I see another DNA piece for us that you paved the way for and and I know so many other more stories of the way that you paved the way in humility um early on but I think that you have set such an awesome tone of humility for us as a people that is rooted in like God's got my back it's gonna be like yeah you're, you're so like cemented into that that it's amazing how that frees you up and so I'm like, I wanna do that and how as, as a people, it's amazing how much you can roll off your back easier. When you're rooted in that, you're not a you're not a doormat just getting walked over. There's just a conviction of like, that's not mine to handle. Right. I'm God's and so he'll handle he'll handle me and all of that. So I'm so encouraged by that. Yeah. That. I,
1: I, I will say this and I say this to all of us on the smallest level to the largest level. And just so you know I struggle like everybody. We, we're all just we're all just here by the grace of God, right? So, but um, the 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 bottom line is is that I've got to be pleasing to God with the way I live my life and the character in which I walk in, because just even practically, I want to be in high communion with God. And my bitterness or my willfulness or me getting my way or me pushing or shoving somebody or using somebody, that's that's not going to bid well with my own communion with God, let alone grace for others. I wish that it was always just because I love everybody more than myself, but it's actually somewhat selfish, like I want to be right with God, so I'm going to humble myself and trust God with my life instead of try to control my own life because I would rather have the grace of God leading my life than my own willfulness. You understand what I'm saying? So it is to your benefit to always go low. Uh, It's to your benefit to bless your enemies. It's to your benefit to release others. It's to your benefit to wait on the Lord instead of shoving kind of your own way uh, because it creates grace, right? And, and, and then you also have the benefit of not blaming everybody else for why you're not walking with God. Great. <laughs> and, and there is, I mean, I can make you cry on stuff that people have done to me, yeah, right. right? Betrayed me, lied to me, stolen from it. You know, I can give you the list, you know, et cetera. So it's not like it wouldn't be justified in somebody's mind, except it's just not the way of God. So it doesn't work. Does that make sense if it worked that'd be one thing Uh, and it may work in the short run for you to get your way but it never works in the long run you know what I'm saying so remember back to I didn't get in it to be in the ministry I didn't get in it to try to be somebody I got in it to walk with somebody and and his name's Jesus and he had a rough ride at times and he had a glorious ride at times. And so we all will. And so will a community and so will a church. The question is always in our elders meetings or in our leadership meetings, it's, are we up to date with Jesus? Are we honoring God with the way we're living? Are we honoring God the best we know? Some people don't think we are. Others think we're, you know. But we just got to make sure that we're right with God. Not just me, but we as a community. And man, when you do that there's just always access to life. There's just always access yeah. to joy, even if the circumstances are really yeah.
0: not 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 what you want them to be. Yeah. So yeah. good. A little bit tangent. So good. So uh, those are the early days. Starts in 99. Yep. Uber fast forward. 45 churches here in the U.S. today. Uh, about 100 teams in the next couple of months around the world in 40 different countries. Yep. Amazing. So cool. We love being a part of this family. This is just incredible. Aren't you thankful? Yeah. This is so cool. Yeah, yeah. So cool. So um, we could talk our stories on the last 20 years all day and all day tomorrow and so many things. Yeah. want to uh, kind of turn it personal yeah. for you. Um, that season, I think it was 08, 09, you call it kind of your dark night of the soul. Yeah. Uh, could you just share a little bit about us? What, because what, I've heard you say you know, people go through that and it looks different for everybody and all that kind of stuff. But just what was what was the, that experience like and what did that just do in you? Not just what was it like, how, how was it hard in 2008 or whatever, but, or whatever it was. Um, but what, what did it do in you personally and in your walk with Jesus?
1: Yeah, so um, again, some of you guys are familiar with this, but we'll, we'll just uh, go a little deeper here. Not, yeah. uh, so... Um, so in 08, we felt like, uh, 07, 08, we felt like God said, we, remember we started in 87, so we reviewed what has God done in the last 20 years. So what are the promises of God? What do we know we want to retain? And we were planning for the next 20 years. So we said, we're going to take 18 months and really get a hold of we, what we don't want to leave behind. We want to bring it forward. And then what are the new things God's saying and kind of the 20-year vision? and so we're doing that and we are gonna and, and i in and, and 2009 january it's like here's the next 20 years and all these you know big visions and that gratitude and so on and so forth and the way i say it is god gives a vision and then he deals with the visionary is that he, 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 he and habakkuk too. When it talks about, you know, get the vision, write it down so you may run. That's the exciting part of that passage. But, the, but uh, the verse right before it says, I will stand on the rampart and I will see how the Lord will reprove me. Take the vision, write it down so that you may run. So in prayer, I'm going to go before God. Let him resort me so that I can get the vision, write it down and run. Does that make sense? And you can take this on a personal level. You can take it for your life, your marriage, your business, your work, whatever. And, and so, uh, you know, we had been running hard for 20 years. And there had been a lot of crazy things go on and so on and so forth. And so, um, I'm, uh, and, and what I didn't know was some physical heart defect that we'll talk about in a moment. But anyway, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm um, speaking uh, at what's now our church in Omaha, Waypoint. And I, I said, man, I just migraine headache. I'm just and it. And it had been a bit up and down that year physically. And so I'm driving to Walmart and literally, you know, I'm having a heart attack. So, and I, I had to pull over the road, everything's spinning, so on and so forth. And it would be, you know, the, the common vernacular would be a panic attack. The only thing is mine lasted for four straight months without a letter. So my heart rate went up over 200 beats a minute and so on and so forth within within days i'm you know i'm in the er they're checking everything they can't find anything wrong so on and so forth that eventually causes sleeplessness which then gets into clinical depression and things go crazy so it's very difficult to say that'd be an understatement so um so anyway in the midst of all that um i'm i'm just saying okay what I've always done is just make sure is everything aligned. Am I right physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally? Is there anything in my life that's not rightly aligned with God? What are the promises of God? I think I memorized 200 scriptures. You know, I just walking on these little plastic cards. You know, memorizing scripture and trying to do everything I knew spiritually or physically. And and lost weight and was exercising. I was wasn't in that bad of shape, but I just did everything I could. Eat right, you know, and all that, and nothing was changing. And the the sleep deal was really the deal, right? So, in all that, there were just there would be these. uh, uh, I I. um, I'm trying to figure out which direction to go with this. You know, I would of course I was seeking God daily. Of course, I was. People were give me great words and all that, and, and I knew that God was saying this too will pass, but God doesn't usually put a timetable on this too will pass, right? So that's the bit of the concerning side of this, and, uh, um, and, and at different moments, you know, I'd have that deep encounter with God, I'm with you even though a sleepless night or uh, I remember one of the most poignant, one of the most powerful moments was there's a, a, a lady that runs a lot of our inner city work and she's real intercessor. And I'd spoke on a Sunday morning she, and after a sleepless night and uh, um, she came in and she said, what happened to you last night? And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, I was woken at three in the morning and I felt like the Lord said, get on your knees, start rocking back and forth and, and, and just start crying out for Jimmy to have hope, to have hope. I had been on my knees at, from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m., just rocking back and forth, just crying out for hope. And God put it in an intercessor's heart to literally be in rhythm with me at the same time. Boy, if you don't think I had hope. I didn't feel any better, but I had hope because I knew God was with me in it. I and, I and I share in the little passion purpose book several things that I learned along the way but let me let me fast forward to say what 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 happened what the change was um, and uh, well let me say one other thing you know people say well everybody has a suggestion you ever notice that uh, <laughs> and uh, and again well meaning most people and then um, uh, so you're, then you're having to collate all this information and try to say what is of the Lord what's not what's practical and, and all that and again of course I had all the physical exams I did everything practical that you're supposed to do. and um, um, but the the, the the problem with all this stuff is is that your goal is to feel better and and if you just feel better then it brings hope but, but then you go to feeling bad and you don't you lose it. So I remember God speaking to me one day, about a year into this, and, and, um, and he said, your goal is to feel better. Why don't you not worry about feeling better and worry about trusting me more? And actually, that was the depression started to lift, not the physical challenges, but it began to lift because I said, my goal is to just trust you and not put my focus on even feeling better. And if I never feel better, I'm going to trust you with my life on a moment by moment basis, the best I know and make that my goal, right? And it did relieve some of the, yeah. some of the pressure. So fast forward, 18 months into this craziness and, and what I knew was, <clears throat> sorry for rambling, but uh, what, what I knew was, what did I, so what I knew was, okay, by the grace of God, I know what the will of God is. The will of God is that I have a relationship with him. The will of God is that I'm a father I'm a husband, I'm a leader, I'm a communicator, I know those are the will of God. So I, by the grace of God, can do those every day. Maybe not at 100 amps, maybe not with high energy, maybe it's a little fuzzy some days, but I'm just gonna get up at the same time, I'm gonna eat three healthy meals, I'm gonna show up in places, I'm just, I I know from years of working with people that you just have got to stay in some kind of rhythm, Regardless of what the terrors look like at night, regardless of the crazy thoughts you have or whatever, just got to get in these rhythms. So anyway, it's eighteen months into it, and I am desperate one night, and I call an old buddy that had been kind of a counselor friend, and through this, and he said, "What do you need, man? We just have got to move heaven and earth. I think we're we're just we're done. We've, something's got to break." And I said, "I need." A godly medical professional on all the mental side of this that I can trust. I just need somebody that really not only knows God, but is just the top in the world. Who is the top? And it a guy named Archibald Hart. He's now retired. James Dobson used to have him a lot on his shows. He, could, he was a psychologist and a psychiatrist. So he knew the medication side and he knew the psychology side. He's a believer in all this. And I said, and he said, well, then let's pray that you'll meet Archibald Hart. And then I, then he, on the heart situation, they couldn't, they hadn't found anything. And I found the, the, uh, they, they had just found a deal called an anomalous left artery, which is a unique heart thing. And he said, and I said, uh, we said, who's the number one person in the world? The guy down at the Houston medical center, let's get an appointment with him. So the long story short, that was on a Tuesday night on Wednesday morning. I'm at Panera bread studying for a sermon. I have one of our charge books that I would have been reading stacked there. A guy in the corner says, "Hey, I don't mean to disturb you," he said. But I uh, see so you reading Arch Hart's book, and I said, "Yeah, I am." And and he said, "Do you know him?" And I said, "No, I don't. I, I'd like to. I'd like to." He said, "I did my doctoral thesis under under him, and he is one of my dear friends." And I said, "Well, any chance I can meet him?" I said, "What's he doing now?" And he said, well, "He's semi-retired, but he works with uh, kind of CEOs and uh, kind of." Senior pastors who've who burn out, and uh, um, and I said, "Well, I'm both." Uh, got it. Uh, I said, "Could I get a hold of?" Him? He said, "Well, let me just email him right now." Oh, so he yells, and within 15 minutes, our chart says, "Come on out to L.A. I'll meet with him." <laughs> so that that's like within 12 hours. Amen. Then my buddy calls a friend at the medical center, and he he said, "This was Wednesday." He said, "What are you doing tomorrow?" I said, I'm going to be in Houston for a missions thing. And he said, I got you an appointment at 10 a.m. with the guy who does all the studies, writes the books on anomalous left arteries, Dr. Angelini, you got an appointment at 10 a.m. So in about 48 hours, uh, things begin to break, right? I'm out in LA, Art to Heart explains everything that I've been through like nobody I've ever met, gives me a little protocol to kind of walk out of it on some physical stuff. Then I get that this uh, heart doctor, uh, you know, just tells me everything that didn't make sense to the, all the other doctors because they don't, they're not specialists. And so in, so everything just begins to change, goes up to the right. And so since 2011, I haven't, I, I have had, I, you can smell it coming, but I've not been n- n- zero on the clinical depression or dark yeah. night souls wow. since then. Yeah. And so the question is, God you knew these things. You knew these two guys. Why 18 months? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You could have done this like that. I mean, you know, you did it like that when we, you know, was I? It, but you know what's interesting? God's never answered that question for me. Yeah. And that's okay. Right? I can ask. You should, right? Was there anything I didn't do or should have done? But you got to be okay with mystery, uh, or or you start taking the seat of God and you become bitter at God. Right. There's some people that you could justify I should be bitter at, but God's not one of them. You know what I mean? Uh, and it doesn't work. Does that make sense? Just back to just pragmatic life. If it worked to be mad at God for a long period of time, uh, I'd say go for it. But it doesn't work. I mean, Right? Does that make sense? I mean, you, God can handle your pain. Tell him how you feel. That's the Psalms. Are, uh, that's a beautiful thing about God. He can handle it. But you can't stay there. Because the one who can help you is the one who is to be praised and honored and exalted. Even when you don't understand, you are finite. He is infinite. And, and so, a lot of lessons learned through that, etc. Some adjustments I need to make in life. Some physical things that I need to be attentive to, etc., etc., etc. But, um, but the key was trusting him more. God sees and knows all. Just, hey, am I, am I trusting and responding? And, and when you go through the dark night of the soul, it's going to pass. This too will pass. And, and I don't know what that looks like for you. Uh, you know, most recently I've had this. Some of you guys know I had Bell's palsy. Talk about left field. It was almost a year ago. I'm sitting in a meeting, mouth is numb, looks like I'm having a stroke, like, wow, you know, here we are, go to the doc, immediately said, run all the tests, say, well, it looks like Bell's palsy, uh, which I wasn't that familiar with, and, uh, and so, I mean, my face was down to here, right, and so I said, what can you do, you know, what do they do, there is a little steroid regimen, and, and uh, they do a little um, antibiotic, but they said, you know, it's, it's like, um, um, What do you call it? Shingles. You know, it's just, it attacks your body. It's a kind of a hit and run. Some people get over it in two weeks, some people two years or whatever. And there's not a lot you can do about it. You just have to manage your own strength, what you have strength to do. So I thought, I've been around trials long enough that if I spend the next months trying to find the needle in the haystack, what is the perfect solution to... Droopy face or the Bell's palsy. I'm gonna waste my trial. I just, you know, I, I'm I I need to just do what I'm called to do. I need to be attentive. I need to make some adjustments. It's not like I'm. I mean, I I seek medical help. I unapologetically am pro medication. All that. That's not. That's not the deal. But you know how you can get fixated yeah. uh, with with healing to the point of it just obsessing all you think about. And again, there's appropriate times you got to respond. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the focus, right? And so uh, so I just kept preaching. And some of y'all see me videos where I'm holding my face up. And man, I, I good thing I didn't look at myself in the mirror that much in those days. And if you were like, wow, you really were like really bad. Uh, now it's just like, yeah, it's got, got a little something weird with his mouth. Um, but I still have a little bit ways to go. It's still a bit of a hassle. But it hasn't stopped me from doing the will of God. And why didn't God, I mean, why am I the one-year guy when somebody else was two weeks, right? People come to me, oh, I know exactly how you feel. I had it for two months. And you're like, "Uh, I'm on a year, you know. Are you trying to encourage me or what, what?" you know. uh, But anyway, I just say that to say it's not like I'm more noble than somebody else or stronger than somebody else. It's just perspective, right? Just don't waste your trial. Yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah. I went, talked about a lot of stuff there. No,
0: yeah. that's all good. Um, okay, so we've got 10 minutes left on mm. the schedule. But sorry about that. I hope I didn't waste questions. anybody's no, time there. there. There's two yeah. questions I really want to get to. The first one can be short. The second one we could go on forever on. So, I will be short on the first, okay, no, the first one. Okay, now the first one, and I think it's great. And then... Uh, you can even continue a little bit. If y'all need to jet right at 7.15, that's great. You're not rude if you get up and leave or anything. Um, but the second question is going to be a fun one. The first one is, um, the second question is going to be, what are you pumped about what God's doing around the world? Great. So that'll be a fun one. The first, the first question is, uh, you've been sharing with me recently, last semester you and the leadership team in Waco spent a handful of months meeting with everybody in the church in small groups, meeting with everybody in the church who had been with you guys for 15 or more years. Right and that's awesome. Uh, But you were asking the question to everybody and then uh, was what brought you here and what made you stay? And I think that's so powerful and there's so much to learn from that. But the the question I wanna ask you is, well, what your answer was last night at dinner, what the common denominator you heard was people came and the, the reason they came and stuck was they had genuine God encounters and then they stuck because they built relationship with people they trust or some people they could trust and I think that's so powerful for us and I think you guys are doing such a great job at that the question I wanted to ask you for the sake of us as a church is and it might be the same answer but what was what was maybe the common denominator just in a couple minutes one or two takeaways from those conversations from those people that that not just why they come and stick initially, but what helped them stay over 15, 20 years of growth and changes and challenges. Because, you know, I think where we're at as a church and even just looking around this room, some of you have been here since the house, some of you are new, you know, over half of our church is new in the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. But we're kind of in this zone as as a people overall of like jumping in, encountering God, building relationships that we can trust. And as we look ahead, Lots is going to happen, you know, like good stuff, hard stuff, all those sort of things. What was something that we can all take away as individuals that we can hold on to as a community? Are you tracking with what I'm asking? Yeah. What are yeah, things that no, we absolutely. can hold on to as a people over the next 15, 20 years? Yeah,
1: that's actually the much longer question than <laughs> than you know what I'm pumped about. Right, the, what I'm pumped about is an ending question, but this is more important actually. <laughs> so l- 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 let me let me just um, let me say it this way. Uh, you guys are in a honeymoon phase. I mean, what a sweet room. I mean, golly, for some of you, this is a church I've always longed for. I mean, wow, they're they're really loving Jesus. We're actually really making disciples. We're really getting serious about our work with God. It's so refreshing, and it's a renewal time for you. And man, what a cool, cool deal. The challenge that's about to happen is growth. Where you're not as close to everybody that was in the initial core group. And people's needs become greater because you're first reaching Christians that need rehabbing and reigniting, which is most of this room. Then you'll start reaching people that are really broken and really needy, and they're gonna require more of your attention and time. And when you give that attention and time, you don't have as much time for each other. And everybody's going to have to become missional. Everybody's going to have to be a disciple maker, not just enjoy being discipled. Right? And so, so that, that, you know, because we've had uh, people leave, people leave mad and bitter and everything else. Never, I can say before God with our leadership team, there was nothing we did maliciously. But they were caught in the initial excitement, were in the middle of the core, and had all very high ideals, and then life got difficult, or things got bigger, or the demands for their own, they had other demands on their life, and everybody couldn't be there for them all the time. And so everybody had to own their own walk with God, and and kind of make it small at times, even in the midst of things getting bigger. Does that, does that make sense? So my admonition to all of us, and and, and, and I want to make sure that, because I will loop in my own mind about this. When I was talking about the mystery of God and healing, there's very real needs in the room that God deeply cares about that really, really matter, and they are not trite, and they are not light. Anybody that's struggling with depression, I can go there with you in tears and, and hurt with you, because I know the hell you're living in, and there is... And God cares about that. And it is worth pursuing and and getting some answers and working it through. So please know that as I'm talking kind of 30,000 feet, there's a very real pain that I go through, that we go through, and that God's with you in it. This is not just big platitudes. Um, So I just, I want to make sure to say that. Um, But. What you guys are going to have to continue to grow in personally to be a healthy community that's able to truly reach your city and your family and friends is you're going to have to own your own walk with God as a couple, as an individual, as a house church so authentically and so genuine that it brings you joy to see multiplication and see growth and you're not hoping. For an ideal of earthly community that will remain the same. So it's the same. Like I can meet. Like I could be with you guys. I could go to uh, uh, and and immediately we'll click. Same values, same mission. Uh, There's people I meet around the world that I didn't even know that are part of Antioch. That if we have like heart, like mind, like values, boom, we're in it immediately. There's a richness of community that never ends. But there's a a local church community that has to keep reaching people that are hurting because it's the mission of Jesus. And so that tension of intimacy and mission just kind of, you got to just go with it, grow with it, work with it. And the people who lasted eventually figured out they had to create a core group of friendships that they could grow with, uh, kind of grow their families together with, even while they were multiplying and expanding. Does that make sense we didn't provide a program for that just somehow people knew intuitively they needed to do it if they lasted so so can i give an example so uh lor and i um we started the first life groups at highland baptist for adults and families multiplied those we had the classic groups of we have 10 families and 53 children and you know uh that's our Life group, under 10, you know, and that's uh, what's happening or what's going to be happening here. Yeah. And so um, we were multiplying leaders and sending leaders out. Eventually, though, we realized, okay, there's there's four couples who all have kids the same age that we need to kind of stay consistent with. So all of those couples were leading life groups. And then we started, hey, once a month, we're just going to do a Sunday evening you know, for hours. And then we started doing uh, mission trips t- together, just these four couples who all had four kids the same age. So we grew up with these families and the and their kids, even while we were missionally all engaged in leading aspects of the community uh, that allowed us sustainability. Does that make sense? Okay. So the, the, the programming is everybody... Be a disciple, make a disciple, lead a house church, multiply a house church. But all the multiplication, there's got to be a group that you kind of have that you're going to stay tight with while you're being missional. Does that make sense? That's not often said in the books. It's not talked about as much, but it is the thing that allows you to stick. Yeah.
0: That's so good. So, so good. That was so good. Because <laughs> you're right there. No, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. But it's like, it's so doable. Yes. It's amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. I want to throw in something you said at dinner last night, because what you just hit on was so, uh, so perfect on the individual relational level. I think that's so key. Something you said last night, and I don't know if, I've never heard you say this before. I don't know if you came up with it at the moment, but you said, how do you, um, there was something that people were talking about how people left because Oh, we used to emphasize this and now we emphasize that. And what yeah. what happened to the thing? Sure. And you said the people who have stuck were the ones who were like, hey, just give it some time, we'll swing back. And yes. last last night you said, how do you go up a mountain? You don't drive up a mountain straight. There's always this switchback. That's how you make your way up the mountain. Yes. yes. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that's so helpful for yeah. me. Just I know that's gonna be helpful for me personally to give myself grace for the it's like and I, but I think for us that's going to be so key because that is wisdom yeah. that in different seasons there's different emphasis emphases yeah. and and it's right that there's a swing it's not. It's not um, inconsistency. Yeah. It's not irresponsibility. It's just how you get up the mountain. Like we're we're exactly. going up, but we're sure. going this way. And I just thought, wow, we can all because that relates to every season of life, not just the direction or emphasis of the church. Yeah. But and, there's and what, a what, grace what, to yeah, give each other. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what 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 happens is, <clears throat>
0: let's just go for another hour. Yeah, yeah.
1: Everybody in this room is is somewhat passionate and idealistic, or you wouldn't be here.
0: <laughs> right. Totally.
1: No matter what your personality is, you, you, are, uh, you have high hopes for something more. And you've experienced something more, and that's why you're here, right? So, But remember, everybody's more has a different desire. Worship's my thing. Deliverance is my thing. The word of God uh, in this way. Just making disciples. Evangelism. Um, have you read the latest, you know, way to do church? You know, whatever it is. So, but corporately, if Andrew and Heather and the leadership team is leaning in to worship, when you think we should be leaning into healing prayer, you got to hang on with the lean and keep doing healing prayer. And eventually healing prayer will be the emphasis for a few months and then when we're you know doing house church better we'll lean into that for a season but while we're doing that you're convinced that everybody should be a full-time evangelist and everybody's a sellout and while they're trying to go deeper you can keep why don't you just model that for us while we're leaning in to getting deeper community so that when we get there you can lead us instead of leave us you know what I'm saying so So if you'll as long as what we're doing is not extra biblical right if it's if it's the Bible an aspect of the Bible it's good and then if your passion's biblical it's good and we're going to get back to you corporately but don't demand a crowd every time you have a passion just do what God's called you to do. Be an example. And then when we need you, we'll be right with you. And so that's where I think people have gotten off the bus. Because we draw passionate idealists. I will say this, you know, as long as, because we've, who knows what God will do. We may never see each other again. So I'm going to say this. <laughs> because it's true. We draw passionate. Passionate idealists hungry people and we draw really broken people because we give them hope What happens though if you don't get healed of your brokenness You will work out of that brokenness and become divisive and hurtful yourself if you don't resolve it So some of the people we have loved the most have been the most hurtful when they've left because they didn't resolve their own brokenness Does that make sense? So we will always draw really hungry, idealistic people and we'll draw really broken people. Sometimes that's the same person, right? As we all are. We are, we are yes. that same person at times.
0: Great.
1: Um, but but because you realize that, then we gotta get really good at healing people, restoring people, that's our grace. We're gonna get good at that. And we're always gonna draw idealists. So the idealists have gotta just hang in there while we're focusing on whatever God corporately speaking knowing that we're not abandoning anything. And then the really broken, you just got to sit in there tight and go to community, not away from community and realize that you're, you're a part of the problem as well as everybody else and just work it through, right? That's why forgiveness, that's why my message on forgiveness is so strong and an offense is so strong because we have to have it as a community because our idealism is so high, right? And so um, all this stuff kind of works together to be who God's called us to be. Yeah. So good. Yeah.
0: So good. Touch your neighbor and say, I need you. Mm. There we go. Okay. I need so you, Andrew. I need you. To Do that thing. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna take, it's 719. Let's be done okay. at Twenty five. Okay. And I'll, I'll zoom in, but feel free to take this wherever you want. Yes, sir. So what are you encouraged about either and or, I mean, but either by some of the and I know you, you might not want me to ask this part but question, but by some of the really cool stuff happening in politics in our country that nobody's mm. hearing about on the news and or Golden Shores.
1: <laughs> in six minutes.
0: Well, you can pick one. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the only hesitation is uh, what direction to go. People are more interested in politics, but I'm more interested in Myanmar. But so you talked about Myanmar. Myanmar. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let me just say this. (laughs) Let me say this. Okay. Wherever you are on the political spectrum. Okay. And I I genuinely mean that because we're all on
0: God's side. Of course you are.
1: So so, uh, anyway, wherever you are on the political spectrum. (laughs) Other than Andrew, and wherever, wherever you are on the political spectrum, um, remember God is always at work, always at work. And he is, God is always speaking to influencers and to power more than you know he is, right? So I'll just give you one story. I have a, a, a dear friend that's been a friend for 30 years and she has been very influential in most of the administrations, etc. So, with the new administration, she asked the Lord God, "What?" Because she was offered just about any post that she wanted, and she said, "Lord, what post should I take?" And He speaks to her, "Be the be in charge of the judicial appointments." So she went to Mitch McConnell and she said, "What? Uh, I want to be in charge of the judicial appointments in both the gathering and the vetting of judgeships because I believe this is the strongest." play here for the long haul for the social values that we have as believers. So she got that position and um, she connected with another friend. We were all at Baylor together way back 30 years ago.
0: Sick on bears.
1: There it is. Yeah. Uh, And he was in charge of taking all the court cases and vetting everybody for Supreme court justices so that every judge that gets to the administration comes through these people who are vetting and researching people who have the values, whether it's the constitution or not everybody's a believer that they're putting forward, but their values would be at least on the social side. I'm not saying on all the other issues. And um, and so there's been more judges appointed than any other presidency in U.S. history. 187. There's been two Supreme Court justices, and all these people have been vetted through believers who have sought God about what they're doing. And then on and again, that uh, don't don't please don't research it and say anything about the person. You could probably find out who she is, but. The other thing she and we she then adjusted to working in um, the, on, in the UN. Um, there's uh, well, I won't go into that. Let me just say this: yeah. is that in that deal, God's at work, and, and and that doesn't give Donald Trump an excuse for his sin. We need to pray for that guy. He is sinning. He is. And, and, and that is not a lack of support, not a lack of prayer, not a lack of personal belief in, or anything. That's not, I'm just saying that to say he needs prayer, and it's not a political statement. But what I am saying is that uh, through his leadership and the imperfection of his life, there are appointments and people in place that are doing things that are literally shaping millions of people's lives for good, even though God's still working on him. Okay, does that make sense? And, and I know that for some of you that was sensitive one way or the other. And, um, uh, and at the same time, even if you take issues that would quote unquote be more on the liberal side, there are great friends of mine, like, like I wanna tell that one story. Yeah, so, so a friend of mine is, is one of the advisors on immigration issues. And you had the separation of child, parent-child separation, big deal in the news, right? So he went to the administration and said, this is not good. We got to solve this. And so they set him up with the attorney general for an appointment to talk through what laws do we need to adjust so that, uh, and this friend of mine's Hispanic and that's his background, that's his family. Those are his friends. So. He seeks God and says, God, what's the solution here? And the reason they have the parent-child separation deal on the border is because of trafficking. So people say, this is my son or daughter, but they're a mule for somebody else, or they're trying to traffic the child for slave labor or, uh, or sex trafficking. So this is not good. So the law's not necessarily bad, but how they're instituting it and what's having the kids is not good. And And so I'm taking a stance over here to say, we got to fix this. So my friend, he's in prayer and he he calls me, he has this picture in his mind of a doctor with a seven year old girl, a female doctor taking a cotton swab and wiping the inside of her mouth. And the doctor saying, we'll know who your parents are by this procedure. And he said, I think it has to do with DNA. So he called a friend who's a biologist. He said, yeah, that's how they do DNA. They can do it with a cotton swab or whatever. So he, so he feels, so he goes and meets with the attorney general and he says, hey, I was praying about this and I need to know how quickly can you guys find DNA? So he calls the head of the FBI. He says, we can get it in an hour if we want um, just by this one procedure. And he says, well, then I admonish you to make this right to honor the families who are coming across the border to care for people appropriately and for the administration to do what's right you guys need to do this. Well, it's now law. It's now instituted. It's what they do um, to make sure that parents to stay with families and kids are treated better and more just. And also it vets out the mules and the the traffickers, right? So that was by revelation knowledge from a believer that had access directly to the administration and directly to the attorney general. And I just, and, and of course, Everybody, if you've been around, you know different stories. But I just want you to know, I'm in D.C. a lot, and there is so much of that stuff going on. It's just God's hand has not left this country. But we have to repent. We have to return to Jesus. We've got to call people to account to walk with God, no matter who they are and what position they hold. So we're not idolizing a position or a political figure, but I'm just encouraging you that God's at work. Like, I meet all the good guys. I and mean, when everybody's throwing up their hands, I'm like, man, I meet people that are deeply walking with God and making decisions that are deeply holding this country together, even while nuttiness is going on at the 30,000-foot level and throughout the news. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could literally tell stories all day long of, of incredible people and terrible things going on. So here's, here's what I want to say. Last thing. I, did a, I just did a podcast on um, religion and politics. And I was going to a young adult gathering. I was going to speak to a young adult gathering. And I knew that those were going to be the top two questions. Race, excuse me, not religion, race and politics. I knew those would be the top two questions. And so I'm saying, Lord, why have I pulled back from public discourse on those two issues this last year? We are engaged. We are, our congregation is 34% non-white. We are churches in the inner cities. We, we are engaged into, we're working on it all the time because it's God's heart and it's an issue from, the, from God that we address rightly. But I said, Lord, why have I pulled back on a public discourse, not on working on it, internally and god spoke to me so clearly he said because there's there's two spirits at work one is a religious spirit and one is a political spirit and and just just hang with me a religious spirit says who's more moral okay so it'd be let me, let me just give you a real quick view of that is Bernie sanders more moral because he wants education for all health care for all and help for all you could give a moral argument for Hey, that that's there's some biblical backing to that. Is are the anti-Trump people more moral because they're calling his character an account and saying, How can anybody support this guy with this character? Is Donald Trump more moral because he's making a way for the church and some of these stories I told you, and making away way for the things we believe in? That's a religious spirit when you're basing your decision making around who is more moral. Because every one of those people are also immoral. Right? So you vote according to those who are advocating for the things that you believe in. That's what you should vote. Right? But, but to have a religious spirit is to try to prove that one's more moral than the other. Not going to get you to a righteous outcome. On the other side, political spirit means by all means do whatever you can to win, even if it's manipulative, divisive, and uh, what's coercive. Okay? That's a political spirit. Now, the world's not perfect. We have religious spirits, political spirits. God still works because we'd all be dead if he didn't, right? God's gracious in the middle of it. But let's us not pander to either spirit. Let's not be a religious spirit, people, or a political spirit. Vote for who you believe in. Contend for righteousness. Run for political office. I want you to. I mean, like, and let's contend, but let our spirit be kingdom. By the grace of God, would you save our nation? By the grace of God, we pray for our president. By the grace of God, we pray for righteous leaders. We stand up for righteous laws. All that, but just don't do it. You can do the same thing with a wrong spirit or a right spirit. If I, I am a big defender of uh, of life and right to life, and there's there, but I want to do it in the spirit of Jesus, not the spirit of politics or the spirit of religion. Does that make sense? Because the only thing I'm left with is anger and bitterness. But if I do it because God cares about life, then I'm contending with the right spirit. Though it may look the same, it's a different spirit. Does that make sense? And I know I'm talking a bit idealistic. It gets down on the ground. But just with all of us in 2020, this is my greatest concern, is that there's going to be a, a, such a breaking in our lives and relationships for the wrong reason. Because we're trying to prove who's more moral We're trying to manipulate the system to get to an outcome that we want. And just listen, everybody's a sinner and everybody needs grace. There's certain things that the Bible says are clear, whether some politician thinks they are or not. And here's where it is. In your conscience before God, vote for who supports what you believe in. In the end. But you don't have to be mean-spirited to vote for somebody to admonish voting or engagement in the political process even though that's the way the world works. I know I said a lot there, and that's a three-day seminar. But I, I, hopefully you hear me. I'm very involved with political people. I'm praying for them, trying to disciple them, trying to help them. I'm all in. I'm for righteous policies. I'm for all of it. So don't think I'm giving up an inch. But it's not, it's not uh, but if you do it with the wrong spirit, you get the wrong outcome. So let's be careful to be prayerful, diligent, and vigilant, to have a kingdom Jesus spirit while we try to navigate what's coming down the pipe here in 2020 for our nation. Okay.
0: Does anybody have a takeaway from tonight?